This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC Studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. And today's lesson is, sometimes things don't go right. This is our second attempt at this first half of the podcast because we did this earlier in the day, but the first half seemed to record. It did everything it was supposed to do in the recording process, but there was nothing there. Good thing we have no lives. The the second half was fine on the same SD card. So I feel like Jerry Seinfeld right now trying to pick up his rental car. My SD card took my reservation. It just didn't have a car for me. There was no sound there. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, that was Cole Carmody, and that's Ryan Gills Gilbert. It is. I can't even see my damn clock. It's 1042. It's 1042 at night. I've spent more time over here today than I have my own house. Well, let's get to all the stuff going on around GoParacat.com. So Cole was over here earlier after we recorded the podcast. This is your third trip to the house, isn't it? It is. Not the studio. Sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, We recorded the first edition of the Friday walkthrough. We gave ourselves plenty of time to set it all up and Zach and I can work on what it's going to look like and We'll have to make some changes for the second one, but I thought it went pretty well, even though the second half of that one, the sound didn't record properly in a different way. Technology's just killing me today. And if you've seen my walk and talk, we have no idea what happened there. And Ryan and I also showed up 30 minutes to the press conference today because we thought lunch was going to be there, when in reality, there was no food. Yeah, you know there's a reason why I showed up to the press conference today. I didn't care what Kleiman had to say, but I heard there was lunch. Like a bear. You heard wrong. Like a bear. It was fake news. <laughs> Showing up for the free food. Oh, my God. Okay, folks, I got a big announcement to make, which is kind of cool because the first time we did this, I bleeping forgot to say this. I'm yelling, aren't I? And uh, so I put it in the second half. Now I'm going to have to edit the second half to remove this information that I shared anyhow. I am very happy 
it doesn't sound like it, to announce that we have come to an NIL agreement with three Kansas State football players. Now, before you think it's going to be something big and fancy, Felix, Cooper, and the defensive deuce. Well, that sounds weird. <laughs> Cooper BB, Felix DK Uzama, and Daniel Green are going to record some reads for us, getting us into the podcast, into the break, and out of the break. And they will appear all football season long on this podcast, our pregame podcast, and our postgame podcast. So we have signed them to NIL agreements. And, in fact, uh, they will be over here in 14 hours to do it. <laughs> Hopefully it works. And I'll be back. And you'll be back. Oh, my gosh, what a day. Um, I walk and talk. Uh, I look like uh, I've been exposed to radiation. We have no idea why. Technically, that's the truth. Yeah. This is the truth. You think it just came out today that all the radiation, just I, the the light was perfect and you could see I was translucent. The human eyes can't see it. I honestly, the can see it, it. like it looks even worse in YouTube than it did. In oh my god, Premiere. so bad! And it like it looked like, okay. Like it looked like yes, it looked different in Premiere, but it was like if, it, if this is it, it looks fine enough in Premiere. But he looks like an angel. He looks like he has the suds. I don't, you keep saying that. I'm not quite sure what the suds means. If you're a millennial yeah, you or a know. Gen Z, what were those bottle caps you know. or wine cork caps that they stuck all in SpongeBob's holes? Huh? Yeah, it's corks. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think it's time for the questions. That's got one more important thing to say. We're sponsored by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Make sure you stop into the fridge every time you come to Manhattan. And I suspect a lot of you will be coming to Manhattan in, say, 10 days. So here's the thing. It's the family reunion. You got to pack up the family truckster and you got to come to Manhattan with all your tailgates goods. But you don't bring the booze from home. You stop at the fridge. You go see our friends Kevin and all the great people at the fridge and they will get you hooked up with the perfect drinks for your tailgate. Go ask them if they got anything from South Dakota so you can drink it and dispose of it in that way that you do after you drink liquids. Stop the fridge whenever you come to town. It's your question from Wabash Station. Ryan Giz Gilbert is taking the first half, I think. That's the way I think it was earlier today. I'm getting deja vu over here. I don't know who I am or what I'm doing, but let's get going with the pod. Hopefully it's recording. I keep looking down. It seems to be recording. Zach's in his own. Zach went to bed. He's mentally in bed. I've had a few beers tonight. Wow. He's broken one of the rules of the podcast, but we did call him in from Golf League, so it's okay. From Purple Hokey, can we have an update on the parking that was relocated from the east side of the bill? Where is that parking located now? Jeez. (laughs) Okay, Zach, you answered this question earlier Yeah, I answered it earlier, and Fitz just looks at me, and it's silence. Uh, A lot of that parking on the east side, they've – that old grass or gravel lot that you enter with gate nine, kind of where the the intramural fields are, that grass – that old grass lot is now completely paved. It is paved. It is a large parking lot now. Is it – replacing all of the spots that were lost from the east side no it's probably going to be a net loss but there is a significant amount of concrete where there was not concrete before but with the even with the practice field 
Um, the practice field kind of even juts out further into that lane from gate eight. So you kind of have to jog around it to get you back. You said gate nine earlier, didn't you? Yes. Gate nine is the intramural fields. Gate the, eight the is the are. one okay. where you enter yeah. to the actual east side. Yes, sir. Yes. So gate eight. So what was gate seven, the one that no longer is useful? Gates, yeah, gate seven. By the you, veneer company. By veneer and... You know, you can kind of use it, but gate eight is going to be the one that we will use to get or, you know, anyone going to a basketball game that parks on the east side, you're going to take gate eight and go around. So how will this how will this affect the students and the fraternity, specifically the fraternities? Because, I mean, Ryan, you know this. I mean, when you were when you were doing that stuff and tailgating before the games like that's I don't drink. Sure, yeah. you weren't drinking. You were well, you're having some milk, but that's you were still tailgating. It was apple juice fits. Okay. It's a I mean, there's a large section of Greek life that partake in these tailgates. And so uh, after doing some exhaustive research, which by that I mean looking my e- looking at my email, they're selling these spots for $20. You got to be worn out. They're selling these spots for $20. Does that mean that the Greek life and fraternities get priority? Or, I mean, theoretically, you could just have normal students buy – up these spots and and you know this this tradition of um these massive tailgates just go by the wayside i'm very curious to see what ends up happening that but i mean that's a it seems like a big deal to me i don't know it just does well it is going to be a change for everyone i mean it, it i gotta admit this when they decided they needed to put the practice facility right there i didn't realize it'd be that big it's enormous. It's huge. <laughs> like you said, it basically goes out the entire length of the parking lot to the outside lane of the old lot. It's incredible. It's impressive. Man. And it has displaced a lot of people. And even with that said, I still think K-State has one of the best parking situations I've ever seen. And I've been to every Big 12 campus. And even the ones that aren't Big 12 anymore in a lot of places around the country. Zach, I think you thought Iowa State. Iowa State competes But you just well. like the bridge. But it, Kimball needs a bridge, though. It does need a bridge. Build a bridge, and you can have competing bridges, and you can make a trophy for Farmageddon, and it's a bridge. With, with, with some of these spots being lost like and, like, it. the net spots being lost, do you think people charge more for parking around the stadium? I would. It's a free market. I would think that. What was the I net loss, Zach? I don't. I honestly couldn't I tell you because, I but I don't like also don't but think I don't they know. were sold out in the past. I don't years. know how that old grass lot was calculated. Were those calculated as official spots, or was it just you know? Did they not care? Why do they? I not? mean, they they probably counted it. They were charging money for it. They were probably had passes there. I mean, it's it's a little hard for us. We don't have to deal with parking over there, so. Quite frankly, we're a little bit ignorant of of how that process works over there. But people did park there, and there are more spots there now officially with lines and concrete. But a lot of those spots are going to go to the people that were displaced in the first place. So I don't know the exact procedures of what's happened. Well, my question is this. Why do they not just let people park on the rec grass fields? At some point, like that, just at there's some point, so much land right there. At some point, the wet grass fields probably need to be reduced in half. And there's yep. no point of having what, I just, five or six fields out there's there. There's eight fields, but those those fields are very sensitive to like weather and you know when it rains, you can't be on them. So I think yeah, don't a don't million, text mean things to them. They're sensitive. <laughs> true, mm-hmm. but you know when it rains, you're not allowed to be on them. So I think 
I don't know, a thousand cars isn't really going to. Well, I don't think you're going to. If you took it away and let people park there, you're not treating it as grass anymore. Fair. You don't you don't care about yeah. the the status of the grass, and you'd probably pave over it due to that case there. As much as I love intramurals, I think that parking for football is more important than half of the because it is a big area. It's huge. So, I agree. Trim it. Hmm. God, you guys are vicious. Now, now you're eliminating exercise from our lives. Just horrible. Zach's exactly right. We never go over on that side. It was annoying as hell during basketball season because you couldn't hardly even get to where we were designated to park, and then they moved where we were designated to park. I still don't know what happened there. But It's not like the parking lots were ever full for basketball, yeah. let's be honest. And, and what I didn't understand until recently was the volleyball facility on the west side and the Olympic training facility come out farther, and so that first – that first entryway is useless now. They're going to have Gate to move one it. one is gone. Yeah, they're going to have it's to move gone. it. And I, I don't know how they're going to do that before the first game, or I don't know how it's going to – it's going to be a mess. Us trying to get – if we're still parkling, parking or parkling, parking around Brandonbury where they've had the media last couple of years, if we're going to have to go in and around, it's just – it's very interesting to me. Hmm. First world problems. From Mr. Zaiha, what if Adrian Martinez fails to meet expectations? How long of a leash does he have before the coaches switch to Will Howard? Yeah, this is a really good question because we don't, we have no idea. I, I don't think they'll carry anything over from Nebraska, but you can't turn the ball over in timely situations. You can't. And I always come back to this if he was so awful, why'd you keep playing him? Why was your quarterback recruiting point. in Lincoln so awful that you had to play a guy that was losing every game for you? That's what I've been told happened. I don't think he'll be that bad. One, I think he's going to be put in a position to be more successful. And two, I don't think he'll be running for his life after the snap of the ball. Almost every turnover I've seen, he's under pressure. How far behind is Will Howard from Adrian Martinez at this point in time? That's the one thing that I, if we could sit down and have an off the record conversation with Colin Klein, I would love to know the answer to that question. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you ask him in a press conference, it's pretty close. It's yeah. really, but is it? Yeah. But here's the thing is they're telling us Adrian Martinez looks great in practice. He solved his problems if, you know, those actually existed. But they also tell us Will Howard looks good in practice. So, again, you don't know what you're going to get until you get to the games. And if if they're doing okay, I imagine they'll give Adrian plenty of rope. If it's getting to the point where it's going to cost you a game or two, Cole, I think they're going to have to yank him. I just – at what point do you say there's nothing that Adrian Martinez can do differently? I mean, that's kind of what happened in Nebraska. Fitz, you alluded to it, but it's like if they put a backup in, Nebraska was still going to lose, right? I mean, I don't know that if Adrian Martinez fails as quarterback at K-State that they'll put Will Howard in because – Quite frankly, I don't know if they think Will Howard would be able to do a better job. Like, I think Adrian Martinez has to come in and be historically bad for Will Howard to play. I think it would take up until at least the bye week before you consider pulling him. Like, if, you, if you're 3-3 three and three going into the bye week, maybe you consider making a change at that point, and depending on which games you lost. But I think it ultimately comes down to, did Adrian Martinez directly lose the games? Because I think that K-State is good enough from a personnel standpoint, offense and defense, that I don't think that it's going to be very impressive if Adrian Martinez is able to single-handedly lose a football game for K-State. 
I just I don't see it happening. So I think that you know K State's got to be like three and three, and he's got to be playing really bad if they're going to go to Will Howard. Agreed. I, I just I don't see really any scenario in the first six games where Adrian Martinez is benched due to failure. Gills, I'm going to put this in basketball terms. Tell me if I'm right. Okay. This is like a shooter who constantly shoots, and sometimes he makes them, right? And if he makes it, the whole world loves him. Other times when he misses it and shoots it from half court and misses it, guess what? Well, maybe it's time to to trim that back. And you hope that those issues at the previous season are fixed, you know, with this this new um, coaching staff, you know, under Colin Klein. But, I mean, to me, you can draw a lot of comparisons between Marquise Noel and Adrian Martinez. Simply for the fact of, did he do some things that can help you win? Yes. He did a lot of things that could help you win. Now, did he also put your team in some situations to where, well, maybe you're trying to win in spite of him? Sure, at Nebraska that happened. But now with Adrian Martinez, the hope is he cleaned up his turnover issues and he's a facilitator, just like the point guard of the basketball team. Is that a stretch? Hey, if that, if Marquise Noel hears you say that and he's now, you're a target for him and not me. That's good. I'm great with that. That's good for you. I kind of get what you're saying, but I also don't, I mean. mean, Both players turned the ball over. That's a factual statement. You can't argue that. So that aspect, yes, but. Well, I guess what. Both are entering seasons with new philosophy, new coaching. Yeah. Both need to clean that up. And both have talent. I would say Adrian Martinez has bigger upside talent. Mm-hmm. He has first-team All-Big 12 talent. I don't know that Marquise can get there. Well, the thing with Martinez is the, the team revolves around him. Right? K-State's mm-hmm. not flirting with a New Year's Six Bowl like we'll talk about here in a second. If Martinez isn't on his A game, right? Marquise Noel can play 20, 25 minutes, assist the basketball, facilitate the basketball, take open shots when he's open, right? He can do all those things, but he doesn't have to be the superstar. He thinks he does, but he doesn't have to be. So that's where I think that you can draw the, the, the differences there with those two players. You know, that's, that's really – you did say something there that was really interesting. Marquise believes he needs to be the leader – for whatever reason, at Nebraska, Adrian Martinez was required to do it. They they asked him to do superhuman things because the team wasn't good enough to take a lead, you know, and they were always kind of behind just by a little bit, and you got to make a big play, and you got to you got to do it. And I don't think that that actual external demand is put on Marquise, but internally, internally, he's horrible about it. Last year for him, you could understand that though. I yeah. mean. That that's where I kind of cut him some slack. But anyway, sorry not I to go down. I think if that was Bruce hole. Weber's 2013 team or 2018 team, he still would have done that stuff, though. It, it doesn't matter that his team was bad. Fair I enough. would agree with that. To Interesting circle back rabbit. to the, to Interesting the question, I think that Martinez's leash is going to be just as long as any other Big 12 quarterback. What happened at Nebraska is in the past, and I don't think that really has any effect on Will Howard taking his spot anytime soon. Any Big 12 quarterback? Texas? Okay. Fair. Okay. okay. Fair. <laughs> Good one. All right. From a CW Power Cat, what's more likely, the football team plays in a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl or the men's basketball team finishing in the top half of the conference? Okay. For the sake of this question, we're going to pretend we've never answered this question before. 
I've been oh. thinking about my response. We don't want to ask Cole if he wants to be wrong again. Exactly. <laughs> because uh, I want to just say that I'm going to side with Ryan Gilbert in this. Yes. I think this team's capable of a New Year's Six football team, not the basketball team. That'd be weird. I don't know how they'd compete on a football field. That'd be just awkward. The, I think they're capable. In fact, I told a buddy I think that is where they could, should end up. Or at least be of that quality. That's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down, which I think we did in the first half, about would Kansas State be considered if unless they played in – you okay over there? Yes. Gesundheit. He tried his best to cover it. I tried. Would K-State be considered for a New Year's Six if it didn't make the championship game? I don't think so. But that's a whole other rabbit hole. I think this team could be of that quality, certainly will be of the quality of – the highest bowls in the Big 12 pecking order below that. I, I'm confident of that. The, the projections I'm seeing from like ESPN are just, they make me laugh. This is going to be a really good football team unless things just go horribly wrong with injuries. But the basketball team, to make the tournament, right? That's the, that, that means the, you're in the upper half of the conference. You make the tournament. Yeah, they can do that. Now, it's wide open. It's hard to say, but I think that I think that's more tangible than all the things that have to go right for a football program to stay healthy, make the right plays, don't get a bad call, all the stuff that goes into a season. The expectation, I think it depends upon your expectations for each team. If your expectation for basketball is that they make the NCAA tournament, you're going to side with the basketball team. Well, the question is top half of the conference, technically speaking. Technically speaking, sure. But, but either, yeah. if you're in the top half, you're in the tournament, right? I mean, oh, yeah. So um, if you are expecting K State to. Have a historical season, like, I mean, I feel like that is their—that's what they're capable of doing. I don't know if that's necessarily expectations, but they're capable of doing that. Then I think you have to side with the football team because they make the Big Twelve championship. There's a good chance that they're in the New Year Six. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm going to say football just simply for the fact of there's a lot of unproven pieces in basketball and there's a lot of proven pieces in football. And I'll take the uh, ultra-high ceilings of Felix Inyadike Uzama, of Daniel Green, of Deuce Vaughn. Give me football to make the New Year's Six. Okay. Give me – it's basketball. Yeah. You just need to finish top five out of ten. That's 50%. You need to finish top 20% in football. Probably, unless it's Oklahoma and Texas, and K State goes seven and two, and the losses are against OU and Texas, and OU runs the table, and Texas is only losses to OU. That's the only type of scenario you can do it for any other team. Those are just the teams that came to my head. But no, head, you're right. If you're at ten and two, and you're behind the the two programs that the national media only thinks exist in this conference, then, yeah, that that is tangible. They could make it. Like, I think that they can be a top-12 team, and, you know, that's really all you need to be to make the, the New Year's Six. But they really do need to make the Big 12 championship game. And I can even see the flip side of that. If K-State loses the Big 12 championship game, they get relegated to the Alamo Bowl just because they're K-State. The Big 12 was down this year because OU and Texas. Did you use relegation? Okay. The Bob Alamo Bowl. Uh, He's a good man. <laughs> <laughs> he died for all of our sins. <laughs> but it, basketball, just being a top half of the conference team, I think is easier at this point, especially based on the personnel that K State was able to add 
late going into the school year. Basketball's go goes seven and two, defends its home court, and then picks up a few road wins. You're going to be at least five hundred, right? Which like I if think you're more than if you're ten and eight, you yeah. are probably tied for fifth, mm-hmm. or you could somehow be third. Like K State, you mentioned fits in twenty eighteen. It was fourth place. Fourth, okay. Yeah, twenty eighteen, they went ten and eight. Okay. And the discussion though was seeding at that point, which we didn't get into this, and they were in the eight nine game, which I still can't believe if you think about it. A team went ten and eight in the Big Twelve, placed fourth, and was an eight nine seed. Was there not outrage when that happened? K State's non con was really bad. Yeah. Didn't they lose to Tulsa? Yeah, they had some struggles that year. They kind of came on as the year one. So basically, if K State, the question is, what's more likely, K State to be an eight seed in the NCAA tournament, or K State football to make a New Year's Six? K State eight seed. Absolutely. Fair enough. I'm so lazy. I'm not getting Didn't up to the mic. Just up. say okay. I agree. That's your line. I agree. yes. Not. A, Say yes. I agree with Ryan Gills Gilbert. For once. From Rick Bailey, Ema, based on Colin Klein's interviews and performance in the bowl game, I'm anticipating K-State having a more attacking offense this year than we've seen in the last few years. And it sounds like as our defense gets more comfortable with the 3-4, we might see an even more aggressive defense this year. Agree? I think the offense will attack more, but I don't think that the defense will necessarily be more aggressive. I think they're more comfortable. I think that they're more skillful, but I don't think that means they're going to be more aggressive. I think they'll be smart in their play calls and their positioning. I don't think it's necessarily going to be blitzing more than they have in the past. I think that it's just going to be a more sound defense because they're more comfortable in the formation. But here's the thing. You might leave with the perception that they were more aggressive simply because they were more successful with what they did. They might blitz the same, but they might be more successful with the blitzes. They might throw the ball downfield the same, but they might be more successful with it. I think what we'll see on offense is the management of the tempo will be much more notable. They are going to go faster, but not fast, just go fast. If they're playing well and they got a good rhythm, that's the thing the bowl game, the players all said, we got in a rhythm. We're hitting plays and hitting plays. And I think they were just going too slow for what they were trying to do last year and years before. And I think Colin will manage that. I think Colin will um, slow it down when they get a lead and not let, you know, know, take the air out of the ball, so to speak. So I don't know about aggressive. I just think they're going to be more exact in their intentions of what they're trying to do. So, Fitz, you were, I'm assuming you were listening to Monty and I's conversation um, on this week's version of the walkthrough. Um, When we start talking about the defense, the thing that stuck out to me that, you know, I thought about, but Monty brought it up, I thought it was intriguing, was the amount of athletes that are on the defense. And with the switch to now the 3-3-5, which they obviously, you know, feel very comfortable in, K-State's amount of athletes that they're going to have on the field at one time, I mean, it's just remarkable. And now you, you, Joe Klanerman's talked about it. These are all this staff's guys like every person that's playing for the most part was brought in by this staff they have handpicked these kids and yeah i think they're going to be i think it's going to look more aggressive you're right fits but i think it's going to look more aggressive because they're more confident in the system coaches included i think that's that's the coaches are going to know when to call the right calls because on defense they know what to see i mean the coaches are learning we're learning the whole entire year last year too and the fact that they were able to have that much success with it being the first year of that defense, I mean, 
It's pretty remarkable. It's like completely changing offensive schemes. Like it'd be like if K State decided that they're just going to run the I formation and run the wishbone now. Like you know, three three five four three completely different. So I'm I'm that might be the thing I'm looking forward to the most is seeing how the defense plays in week one. The defensive strategy is going to depend on if K State's you know up or down. If they're up, obviously keep everything in front of you, and if they're behind, yeah, you go ahead and roll the dice and try to make that play, but. Overall, it's going to be maybe with a little bit more swagger with what Colin Klein did in the bowl game, but it will depend. Yeah, good point. Was, yep. was Kleiman talking about offense or defense today when he mentioned that? He, he said they wanted to get 10 more plays in on offense. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I think same thing goes for defense, though. Yeah. Maybe switch things up. Last question of the first half is from Chris66204. Given how well Skyler is performing in preseason for the Dolphins, Usual caveat about playing against backups. To what extent was he held back from his potential at KSU by A, the Bill Snyder QB carousel, and B, Messingham's horrible feel for play calling? Look, I I can't explain why Bill Snyder was not bought in on Skylar Thompson. I didn't see the practices. I don't know. But it was clear to me during the course of that season, he wanted Alex Delton to be the guy that emerged and Alex never took control of it. And Skyler kind of hung around. Skyler made enough plays. And I, I still can't, I can't grasp what was going on there. I think Chris Kleiman came in and recognized that Skyler was really good and Skyler needed to be playing. I get that. And I appreciate that, but Skyler just never was healthy either. So, um, you know, I, but I, even off the field in the locker rooms and stuff like, Skylar Thompson was such a great leader, and I feel like he had to be like that at a young age, and I don't think you can say the same with Delton. So it just doesn't make sense. I'm with you, Fitz. I mean, again, don't sleep on that Texas Tech injury. I mean, that was was a big one that really put him out, and I think that, you know, that, that, that affected his career because if he doesn't get hurt against Texas Tech, who knows if he even comes back for that next year. If K-State has a successful season to finish 2020, he might be gone. So, I mean, yeah, there's so many things that went into Skyler's career that affected the outcome of it. But, I mean, it's really hard to believe that if he doesn't get hurt, that his career looks a whole hell, a whole hell of a lot different. Because, I mean, Do you know, it looks better or worse. I, it's tough. I think that if K State continues to be as hot as they were in 2020, you know, who, like, I, like I think I talked about this last week. Who knows what happens with that 2020 season? But who who really will remember that season if K-State was even good? Who's going to remember it? If K-State won the Big 12 championship, you bet your butt that yeah, I guess K-State fans true. would remember that season. I mean, I think Skyler's success right now, I think his maturity and being a 25-year-old rookie is helping him as a football player just from a, you know, going in, doing the work, taking the reps, watching the film, learning the playbook. I think that, you know, I don't know if that's going to change over two years more of college, but, you know, being in college for six years, I can't help but wonder how much of that development is helping him now, you know, going into his first year in the NFL. Find out how much Colin Klein helped him because, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was his coach for, you know, what was he, was Colin Klein the coach for all six years that he was here, his quarterback coach? That's a good question. He, he was co-offensive North- coordinator for one season. He was at Northern Iowa, and then he came out. I don't know. Got to be close. It's too late to ask, ask me that question. It was his development that Colin Klein really helped him. So, I mean, 
If he performs well, well there's credit to Colin there. I, I do wonder if the Messingham offense, I mean, we saw Will Howard struggle with it. Maybe Skyler was such a good quarterback that he made the most of it, and we thought he was just being an okay quarterback because he's not an okay quarterback in Miami right now. He's pretty damn good. Doesn't have the huge arm that you typically want the NFL, but he's making good decisions. He's not turning the ball over. He's putting it in a position where receivers can catch it. It's impressive, and that just doesn't happen by accident. So maybe he just put everything together, but I also believe maybe he's just in a system now that works well with who he is as a quarterback. Courtney Messingham called plays like he liked vanilla ice cream with no sugar. He had me until the no sugar. It means it was very basic. People hate on good vanilla ice cream, man. I know. I like it. With no sugar. No, that's bad. Yeah, sugar it's, like I, I want extra sugar topping, like sugarless ice cream, like like yeah. sugar free ice sugar cream. Sugar free, yeah, yeah. 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 Huh. The world's better with sugar, like not not the fake stuff, not this high corn fructose stuff, whatever it is, real sugar. And this first half has been the real sugar. Make sure you stop in to the fridge when you come to town. When we come back, we'll go back in time. To this afternoon, when we recorded that half of this PowerCat Questions podcast. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Power Cat Questions Podcast, sponsored by The Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Make sure you stop in and see Kevin and the gang at The Fridge next Saturday when you come to town. Just put off that shopping, wait till you're here, buy from the good guys, get the good stuff, and they'll be able to answer any appropriate questions. That's it for that. Here's your questions from Wabash Station. Cole Carmody's taking over. Ricky Ticky Tavi has the first question of the second half. He says, I listened to the Jim Woolridge Life of Fitz podcast episode. In Woolridge. 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 I listened to the Jim Woolridge Life of Fitz podcast episode. He's still getting There's a Woolridge in there. There's a Woolridge. That's what I said. Woolridge. You didn't. Oh, I never saw. Okay, I never saw that. I guess He never sees a D. I never saw the D at all. For that. I listened to the Jim Woolridge Life of Fitz podcast episode, and it made me ponder this question. How long before you could do something similar with Bruce Weber, and what would he say about his time here? I don't foresee it ever happening, and, and here's why. If you listen to that podcast, you heard 
how I described and talked to Jim about his farewell press conference right after he had been fired. He had been told that he needed to make the NCAA tournament to be retained, and he didn't make it. So he knew going into the Big 12 tournament what his criteria for retention was, and he didn't meet it. And he invited selected media over to his hotel suite and mixed himself a nice scotchy scotch and said, don't, don't mention this on anything, and sat there, and we asked him questions as he sipped on his delicious drink and was a pro and a gentleman. That doesn't sound like Bruce. I didn't. That's not how Bruce went out. And what's funny about it is Bruce had the same thing. He knew if he didn't make the tournament, he was going to be gone. We now know that to be true. We suspected it all along, but we now know it to be true. And he still went out burning bridges with a little napalming of the entire fan base. So no, I don't. I'm I'm moving on. But you can recruit to Kansas State. I just want to point that out. I am thinking that Bruce would say if you asked him off the record, not just you, but you know anybody in general, if you went up to him and and you asked him about his time in Manhattan, there's no way that he couldn't say, "I gave it everything I had and it didn't work out." Like I. If he was to, if he truly thinks in his mind that he should still be the head basketball coach, it was a fans. There's something. There's something wrong there. Like everybody. That's not how he went out. He made it very clear it wasn't his fault. It was the fans' fault. It's a shame. It it was the injuries. It was the the wildcat curse. I don't know. See if Ron Prince can come on and mediate it. (laughs) That's good. I I might be more likely to have Ron Prince on. Just because that would be a sh- show. Did I say the T there? I think I was. You in. missed the T. But uh, the chances of that happening are near zero. Yeah. So that should tell you what the Bruce Weber one would be. Bruce Weber's more likely than Tom Asbury. Whoa. Who would have ever thought you would have uh, Mark Mangino on, though? That's a valid point. That That's very valid. Okay. How uh, do you need to? Give me 20 years. 20, 20 plus years. Give me that. Tell Bruce to keep his hair long and and maybe. That's not up to him. It's up to the NCAA, what they do with <laughs> Kansas. What a load of crap that was. See, if he just would have went out that night after the loss to West Virginia. But great. Would have been awesome. Would it have changed your viewpoint of Absolutely. things? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he has this need to make excuses and burn bridges because he did – he made excuses his entire time here. Nothing was ever – it was the, you know, weather. It was a travel. It was a, you know, so oh, whatever. Well, the team bus broke down on the way to the game. I mean, if Gene would have just fired him the way that he should have been fired, we would have a different view of Bruce Weber right now. Right. Uh, they, And I think if you ask the folks at K-State, well, I have, they, they regret letting him on their platform come back for that second time around. Mm-hmm. They thought they were – doing a kindness to a guy who'd been coached for 10 years and people generally liked. But Why didn't I'm, they do it in person? That's what I want to know. But I, here's, that thought crossed my mind, too. Here's my thing is that you folks may not realize this, but he didn't just burn bridges with that press conference. He napalmed relationships going out the door. I, I mean, it's just it's unbelievable what he did. So, yeah. I mean, he's moved, and he's made it clear he doesn't want anyone to know where he's living because I don't know why he thinks K-Staters would even give a crap that if he lives in Sarasota or, 
you know, wherever it is in Florida you move to, we don't care. Jerome Tang lives in Manhattan. That's what K-State people care about. You think he's growing any bamboo trees in Florida? I didn't have the patience for that. I have a source that told me Bruce moved to the ATO house, and he's still here in Manhattan. Mm, <laughs> that's a good source. Boy, I hope he... I thought somebody... There was a sorority that bought the house. Mm-hmm. Was it really? It's because the tornado was back a couple months ago. Was it Theta? Theta or I think Kyo? it was Theta. One of the two. Just bought the house? Yeah, I think they bought the house. And so ATO. instead of refixing theirs up, they're just going to move in? Be for my the, guess. For the year. Or oh, semester. for the year they rented it oh, or they know. bought it? Oh, okay. they're just, it's, just, it's temporary. Oh, it is? Okay. Yep. Okay. And, and I saw Omega's in Jardine. They got relocated Interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it was Theta, yeah. We went from talking about Bruce Weber to talking about sororities. Uh, it's that time of year. Correlation. Hmm. Okay. okay. Next question. Long flowing hair. Comes from Herdez Joe. Now that the roster is full, what can we really expect from men's basketball? First, I didn't expect a full roster. I mean, I did when the whole process started, but then everyone left except two dudes. Then okay, and then then Jerome himself said eleven, and then before he went on vacation, he said twelve. And I thought they'd settle in at twelve. They wanted to save thirteen, and then this guy comes out of nowhere at the end. What's the question? What can we fully expect? I don't know, people. I don't know. There are more athletes on this team than I think. This is gonna. This is a shot that Bruce Weber recruited in his ten years in Manhattan. There are more long, athletic freaks on this team. There's a bunch of guys that remind me of Jamar Samuels. Does that mean they're great players? No, but they can do incredible things. They can play above the rim. They're not going to get out jumped for rebounds. So I don't know where this leads. I, I think they've got a couple guys that didn't produce a lot at their previous schools that will produce a lot here. But I think we can all agree, Gills, that Keontae Johnson changes the mathematics quite a bit because this is a guy that was legitimate at Florida, mm-hmm. legitimate before his health concerns. Assuming he's healthy and assuming he's back to that you know, type of style he had at, at Florida. But that's a question, Mark. I think it's fair to bring that up. That I, I wish we knew how many games is his. You know, they, his family won't discuss it. I thought it was 10 or 9. Yeah. It, no? it's, I couldn't find it anywhere specifically what it said. Maybe, you, maybe you've seen some other articles. But, yeah, let's say it's 10 games. He's basically got the non-conference to decide if he's healthy enough, and then he can shut it down and, and go off to the NBA. Oh, my gosh, he could just play a little bit of basketball and say. He could pull an Antoine Davis on K-State and just clown everybody and, and leave. I'm not yeah. saying he will, but he could. Yeah, play, a few, play the minimum number of games, not not spoil his $5 million until he's sure he hmm, – well, we'll see. I, I think he changes the equation quite a bit. And if he plays a full season for Kansas State, they finally have the guy. And, and, and this is going to be probably one of the most outlandish things I've ever said on this podcast. I've said a lot of outlandish oh things. Boy, here we go. Um, I was talking to somebody, and I, I firmly believe that the 100% healthy Keontae Johnson is the second most talented or third most talented player since Michael Beasley that K-State has had. Okay. Dean Wade, Barry Brown? I think that he is a more he is has a higher ceiling than both Barry Brown and Dean Wade. Yes. I would agree on the ceiling, yeah. And I think he's more talented. I think he'll be more of an impact in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, I think you look at Michael Beasley, you look at Jacob Poland, and then Keontae Johnson if he's healthy, and he would he's, he's that good. Like, 
he is that good. Yeah, I agree he can be that good, but as far as his impact on what he does for K-State, he won't even come close to no, Barry but, or Jake, but he can be better than those guys for sure. Yeah, talent-wise. I mean, he's, he's, he's legit, and it, it doesn't take long. You don't have to watch much film. You don't have to go back and look at old games to see that he was Florida's entire team. Like, every single play they ran on offense, they ran through him. He's not just a slasher. He can shoot the basketball. He can rebound the basketball. He can finish at the rim. And he can block shots. And he's 6'5". That is exactly what K-State needed. They needed a three. They got one. So if he's healthy, I think that he is he alone makes this team ceiling that much higher. And, folks, don't get too caught up into who's the five, who's the big man, who's the post. They're going to go small. They're going to... They're going to create it. They'll have a mismatch maybe in the post on one end of the floor, but they're going to complete have a complete mismatch on the other end with five athletes that the other team has to cover. I'm amazed that Jerome Tang was able to go out and find the type of athlete that they've been having at Baylor immediately for his first K-State team. It's impressive what they did. It really is. So the shortest player on the team is Marquise Noel, obviously. He's listed at 5'8". Okay. The second shortest player on the team, Desi Sills at 6'2". Besides him, everybody else is 6'4 and taller. I mean, that's incredible. It's incredible. There are two guys who are under 6'4 on the team. And Mark Smith was 6'4 last year and the leading rebounder. Yep. That's a good On a Bruce Weber team. <laughs> yeah, still. But, I mean, you don't, it doesn't take much, right? Ryan and I were talking about this in the car, actually, today. It's like, sure, maybe you're a little worried about the five position. But if you have five guards out there, it's not like the five guards that K-State had last right. year. You have five guy, five guards out there who can rebound the basketball, right? Take, for example, Dorian Finister, what, the true freshman who maybe we think might redshirt. You know, we don't really know. He's 6'5". Yep. And we think of him as a point guard. Mm-hmm. So It's impressive. It's, it's remarkable. It really is. The one thing I would add about K-State playing small – is just specifically Ish Masood. He kind of left Wake Forest because he got <clears> stuck <throat> playing at the five spot, guarding you know players that were just so much more bigger and stronger than him. And I'm sure that that was talked about. You know, when when Noel and Masood stayed, coaching staff probably had a, a talk with him about what he wants on this roster. So that's something that I'm that I'm watching out for. I mean, I know that Bebe and and uh, Colbert aren't going to be the best big men, but I don't know. You might have to roll with one of those guys on the court. For a good chunk of your time. And we talked about, I think this team's going to play zone. With that length. Wouldn't surprise me. This team and Baylor, that Baylor zone, it would not surprise me to see them play zone. They will certainly play some of it. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. I'm I'm just intrigued to see how he puts it all together. But I know this. They're going to be fun. They're going to get up and down. And they're not going to be rewarded for playing hard. They're going to be punished if they don't play hard enough. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's going to get after it. We don't have a specific question, I guess, about Keontae, but... That commitment right there just shows everybody that Tang, you know, those, the Antoine Davis, like I mentioned a bit ago, his misses early on are just kind of the flukes and getting, you know, two four-star guys in your 23 class and now Keontae Johnson. This is what it's going to be like for, for mm-hmm. Tang. I agree. I, I believe that. This whole staff recruits. I think everyone. It'll be a little bit tougher because right now with Keontae and then the years to come with RJ and Day Day, there's going to be playing time in year one, like no matter what, right? Once you get more of a consistent roster, that might be an issue for him, you know, that you might have to wait a year or two before you really do, you know, crack the starting lineup if you're a, a four-star guy. So right now it's it's awesome for Tang that he has that pitch to his recruits, but 
moving forward, that might be a, I wouldn't call it an area of concern, but maybe they change their recruiting just a little bit to fit that need on the roster. Sounds like a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. It is. Next question comes from KSU number one. Would you say the final two additions to the basketball team elevate K-State to competing for a top four spot in the conference? It could. It could. A little different than the first question we had in the first half about being top five. I mean, and my calculation there is I need to look at the rest of the conference. Top four in this conference is that's an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Four out of ten. I mean, it seems like it shouldn't be, but it will be. And I'm telling you, folks, when they get back to 12 schools and get rid of Oklahoma and Texas, it's even worse. It's going to be a harder conference. Oh, my with those God. Guys and you're going to be back to just four buys in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. It's going to be brutal. Of course, KU will be in the Big 10 by then. But they'll <laughs> probably bring in Memphis at that point, and then it'll still be kind of miserable. This conference is incredible in basketball. It's the best basketball conference, not even close. And you can talk about the ACC all you want, but there's too many programs that are non-competitive. You don't have that. You just don't have that. Iowa State went from 0-18 to a NCAA tournament bid in one year. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And so, yeah, finishing the top four is one hell of an accomplishment at any point. Um, and, you know, certainly, I mean, we need to give credit. I mean, Bruce won this conference twice. Granted, it was tied and shared, but so what? There's a banner. That, those were great accomplishments. Now, can Jerome Tang come in and, and add in another title or two while being competitive year in and year out? Because that was the failing of the previous coaching staff. You shouldn't have a wild roller coaster up and down. You should be more consistent. So, yeah, it's it's doesn't surprise me, but it won't surprise me if they don't finish the top four and are still really good. I think that can be your expectation, right? Be competitive in every single game. Um, that should be your that was should have been your expectation before Keontae Johnson. I think that should still be your expectation now after Keontae Johnson until we can finally, you know, we, we finally start to hear a little bit more about him and how he's progressed. Uh, but again, like I said, I, I firmly believe this season hinges on Keontae Johnson, on the health of Keontae Johnson, because if he's 100 percent, this team could be really good. Like you, you could be looking at an Iowa State turnaround where they were bottom of the league, like Ryan just mentioned. Now they're in the NCAA tournament. Keontae Johnson is that good. Mm-hmm. I think he's, like, if you want to look at even transfers, I mean, he's gonna, he could be more impactful than Adrian Martinez as far as transfers go, How helping them win. So it's just, yeah, these two additions are huge. They really are. With this question, I'm not really focusing on a top four spot in the conference or anything like that. As long as you get to the NCAA tournament, that's every team's, you know, even if you're a 16 seed like St. Peter's that nobody's ever heard of or you're Duke or Kentucky making it to the big dance, that's your goal because it gives you a chance to win it all. I mean, it doesn't matter how you do it. If you're the fourth spot or, the, you know, what was K-State, like sixth or seventh back in, in 17 when they were on the bubble and they got in, right? Just get in and then you give yourself a chance. I think the outlook before the additions was you're going to have some growing pains this year. If you make the NIT, you know, I'd see that more as a success than a failure and you're building back up to what you used to be. But now with these additions, you're looking at, you know, maybe this is you're inside the bubble on the NCAA tournament bubble by, you know, a decent amount at this point, just on paper, looking forward. The addition. I'm not, I'm no sure, disrespect sure, sure, to, sure. no disrespect to Mr. Anthony Thomas, but the I addition. I was just going off of the questions here. Yes. The, the, the language there, but yes, uh, Keontae, um, 
he elevates your program to the point enough to where you're the best player and now you might be looking on the inside looking out basically if you're talking about talking about the NCAA tournament I think Jerome Tang's obviously won over the fan base 100% but if you go to the NCAA tournament and you actually make it out of that first weekend on a consistent basis then you're really going to get fans behind you because outside of Bruce's Elite Eight trip he never won meant to the round of 32 ever right yeah so well, the students are bought in, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Next question comes from Buckeye Sager. Uh, they have been a subscriber for six months, and this is their first time on the podcast. So wow. thank you for subscribing. Thank you for asking your first question. What attendance level do you expect in Bramlage for basketball? What if they get off to a slow start? Oh, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know that it has anything to do with basketball. K-State fans, you need to understand basketball starts in November, not January. And this is a bad habit fans have. They they don't quite get invested into basketball until football is completely over. And you're kind of the opposite of what KU does. KU gets invested in basketball the second practice opens and they start ignoring football. But, you know, naturally they've got one win at that point, so they do. Maybe they'll get off to a bad start. I don't know. But I think the enthusiasm, I don't think it'll be a bad product. I think there'll be so much enthusiasm about the effort and the the upside. You know, we talk about floors and ceilings. The ceiling's really high. And I don't feel like the floor's as low as where we've been experiencing. Honestly, the last three years, define what would be discouraging compared to that. That was rock bottom. Yeah. So, I mean, even last year where they were improved, they still ended up with a losing record. They still weren't overwhelming in the preseason. So it's going to take a pretty disastrous start to phase K-Staters. They're, they're not going to get six games into it and say, oh, I'm not interested in Jerome Tang anymore. I don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, I hate to keep taking shots at Bruce, but there's a palpable amount of fans that didn't go to those games just to show that they are done with Bruce. And so people support Tang, that's going to boost up attendance a lot, even though it might be during the non-con and football season. But I think a good majority of conference games will be sold out. Am I crazy for thinking that? I think conference games, yes. I think early on in the season, especially November, December, I don't think it's going to be sold out like we saw with Bob Huggins or Frank Martin or even Bruce Weber at the very beginning. I just think that... Or 19, he had it sold out. It's partially... You know, the pandemic still coming off of that, people getting back into the habit of going to games. But there's also a reduced capacity at Bramlage, you know, after the geez, Shamrock Zone. Couldn't couldn't think of it. Wanted to say the expansion of the Legends Room, which is not <laughs> inaccurate, but it's it's not that anymore. But I think that um and Fitz kind of mentioned this, it's not really necessarily about Jerome Tang, it's about K State fans showing up in November. And you know, mentioning KU, what does KU do in November and December? They play a lot of top tier, mm-hmm. blue chip, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, Arizona, who else, whoever. KU isn't scared of anybody in the non-conference basketball. And quite frankly, they're so good that it doesn't matter if they lose those games. It matters that they play them. But for fans, I think it would help if K-State every year, regardless of the coach, regardless of what you expect the team to be, in November, that first or second week, first one of the first five games, host a Duke, host a Kentucky, host a Michigan State, 
you know, get people excited about basketball season by bringing in and playing somebody. Quit playing directional state, you know, from the wherever conference in the southeast. Like it just it doesn't move the needle. Play game play games on Fridays and Sundays. Let people make a weekend out of it. Give people good opponents. Give people a reason to watch basketball because there's no reason to invest yourself into watching Milwaukee Green Bay or wherever else, you know, whoever. Did I just make up a school? No. I meant Wisconsin. What? Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Milwaukee Green Bay is a made-up school. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yes, Milwaukee and Green Bay are their own yes, schools. Yes, they are their own <laughs> schools. But the point stands. Quit playing those types of opponents when you can go play better opponents and sell tickets, get people excited, quit trying to win games against nobodies. I would rather lose by 20 to Duke than CK State beat Wisconsin, Milwaukee, or Wisconsin Green Bay that's, by 50. I mean, that's why I, I never understood the hesitancy to play Wichita State. Exactly. Play Wichita State. Oh, you might lose. Well, you're, you're occasionally losing to Southern, Northern, Central. Texas Jones Southern. State. Yeah. I mean, and nobody's there to watch it. Get some games with some value. Play that, Nebraska every year. I don't care. At least it's regional. That's fine. I'd love to play M- Missouri every year. Yeah, the non-con kind of sucks this year, guys. I missed the 24 hours of college basketball on ESPN. The kickoff marathon was the greatest part of the season for college basketball. T- tip-off marathon? Tip-off. What did I call it? What did I say? Kickoff. The, the non-con this Jeez, year. The- semantics. Mm-hmm. But that Virginia Tech game in 2010, I think it was 2010, it's like a 2 o'clock in the afternoon game in Bramlage in mm-hmm. a midweek. That's cool. It's cool. Been, it's great. Play at eleven. It was two a.m. Yeah, but they they're smart about those, oh, and they West put them Coast. in Hawaii and yeah. the West Coast and wherever else. But tip off in Tokyo. Yeah, I will say this: this is the non-conference mm-hmm. home schedule. Just the home schedule. They they play some good teams on the road. They they go to Cal. They go to Butler. They go to that tournament. Um, We've got what Nebraska and Kansas City. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not counting that, but just home games where fans can come to the game here in Manhattan. Play Washburn in the exhibition game. They open the season with University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Right. Wow. They play Kansas City. By the way, that's coached by Matt Figger. They play the the Ruse from Kansas City. Should play them every year. Mm-hmm. So then that's three games at home in November. Then they don't come back home until December 3rd where they play Wichita State on a Saturday. Great idea. Nice. That'll be the biggest non-conference game of the, of the slate. Then they play Abilene Christian, Incarnate Ward, they played Nebraska and Kansas City, so not in Manhattan. And then their next home game, uh, non-conference, the last non-game, non-conference home game is Radford. So you're looking at four. Don't they have Florida? In in January. Right, right. Which will be now it's huge. Yeah, it's it is. It's a huge game now. But in general, before the conference play starts, not exactly games that make you go, oh, I want to go. Like when you like Marquette. Like people might be saying, okay, I'll go watch Marquette play. But now you have to want to come to the game. You have to want to watch this team play to come to the game. You don't just come to the game because they're playing a good team. What's Radford's mascot? Do you know? The Bulldogs, right? They should be the Radishes. And I'm just going to go to my grave saying that. They should be the Radford Radishes. I don't know. The Fighting I just, Radishes? I just think I'd it's... Be okay. great. Sorry. It's ridiculous that Wichita State is the best home game of the year, and it takes place in December. And keep in mind, any meaningful home-and-home contract was inherited. For the most part. They went out and signed KL. But for the most part, everything was pre-signed. 
a lot of those other games are annual contracts you chase down. Sure. But yeah, I agree. They, they and I think he will up upgrade it because Baylor hasn't backed away from playing competition. They want to play Cal, so they did that. Yeah. Well, that's Cal's going to be a great Mountain West program. Speaking of realignment. Oh, here we go. For the last question of the podcast, I might as well just address this to Fitz. Uh, from KSU Cat 80, what are your latest views and understanding of the Big 12 Conference realignment? Well, I think they're being incredibly patient to let the Pac-10 realize that their diagnosis is actually really bad. They can claim that they're, everything's good and everything's wonderful, but we know what isn't. I mean, anytime you've got schools that are like, yeah, we're, we're, we're with you. We're with you until we're not. You, you're not stable at all. I mean, the Big 12 knows that. And Big 12's rid itself for the most part of any substantive school that leaving would really hurt. Now, look, if the SEC calls Oklahoma State, yeah, they're going to join. That would hurt. But that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Big 10 going to call Kansas. That wouldn't hurt. I'm sorry. It wouldn't hurt. I mean, it would suck for the rivalry. Nice. Nice little sound effect there. Thank you. Yeah, that was like them bouncing back. Mm -hmm. um, the Pac-12 needs to sort out how dire their situation is. And until they get the money situation worked out with their media rights, we won't know. But from all indications, they're looking at $30 million a year in media rights at max. $30 million. One estimation now I read was, and it's so funny, this was from the Stuart Mandel, who has been professing the value of the Pac-12, even as the Pac-10 without the L.A. schools, that their conference value to the media entities dropped 40% by losing those two schools. That never happened to the Big 12. That hasn't happened with Oklahoma and Texas leaving because, by all accounts, the value will stay the same or improve with the additions. So until the Pac-12 comes to grips with their reality, that their media rights deal will be far less than the other four Power Five conferences, until they understand that their loss of the L.A. market was fatal, you can't replace it with San Diego State. That's not how it works. You can help you can lessen the pain with san diego state and until that happens the pac-12 is going to stick together but now we've seen reports that oregon has been in chicago courting the big 10 trying to get into that conference with the la schools guys you're dead and and the three clowns out there that write from the pac-10 perspective that keep saying oh the pac-12 is great the pac-12 is better than the big 12 they have been so discredited by now their most recent reporting, it's laughable that they ever claimed to have sources that said the stuff that they said. And maybe they did, but they were lying, because sources will do that. The Big 12 is going to end up with at least one Pac-12 school. The Big 12 will end up with a Western—BYU is not going to be out there alone. They're going to end up with a Western wing of some sort. It sounds like Arizona music. Yeah, you know what? I think Arizona is a, a lock. I think there's a lot of hesitancy about Colorado now. I know a lot of people think, well, they were in the Big 12. Well, they left the conference. They made it clear they wanted to leave the conference. And in the 10 years since they left the conference, they've devalued sports to the point where why would you want to add them to the conference? They literally brought nothing to the Pac-12. 
in, in terms of major sports. I mean, recently, I mean, Tad Boyle is okay in basketball. They had some decent football teams, but their football team's awful. Utah thinks they're ready for the NFL. I mean, I, I can't even understand what Utah. I, it's and it's not just Twitter. I've been on their message boards. These fans seriously think they're they're Big Ten worthy as an academic and athletic institution, and maybe they are, but you're not going to get invited. I don't know what Brett Yormark's going to do, but I'm convinced in talking to him and others, this conference is going to be at 16 by 2025. Who it is? I don't know. Will the ACC get attacked? Probably. I mean, the Big Ten has turned into the big bad wolf. They're out there just shopping for things to take a bite out of. And luckily for the Big 12, I think they're done snacking on this conference, and they've moved on to other things. It'll happen. It's just now a matter of timing, a matter of assessing the proper value. How much value does, let's say, Arizona and Arizona State and San Diego State bring to the conference in terms of being able to have consistent fourth window product for the football season? So there's a lot of measurements here. But I, I know this. Brett Yarmark's going to add value. And maybe the value won't be apparent to everyone out there. They'll think, oh, San Diego State. There'll be a reason. and There'll be some value. And I'm telling you, having all four windows covered on a game day Saturday is valuable. And we're seeing that value reflected in what the Big Ten did because I think their contract is reflective of media entities knowing there'll be more out west than just USC and UCLA. They'll have all four windows on Saturday, Big Ten football, wall-to-wall, all across networks. And maybe ESPN will be involved at the end of the day with that fourth window. But I'm, I'm, the only thing I find strange at this point is the pace. I thought it would kind of keep up the pace. It's been slow. But Brett Yormark's like, okay, we're just going to. Keep on matriculating the ball down the field. Right. We're just going to let you realize that you're defeated instead of dancing on your grave. And then he'll, he'll pillage. He's going to let you bleed out. You got it. That's I think he's I, still waiting on the Big Ten to figure out which Pac-12 schools they want. Exactly. I mean, I think that— But I don't think there's any overlap. That's what's funny about this. Well, I think— I mean, I think— like, let's, let's say you're Oregon. I think Washington's probably the top school if I'm the Big Ten right. from an academic and athletic standpoint. Stanford. Washington, sure. But Stanford's not a Big 12 candidate. Okay, so hold on. Um, I don't understand the academic presence in athletic conferences. I never have. But to the Big Ten, it is almost as important as the Ivy League. And that's Stanford research and their foundation, their the amount of money they have in the bank. Oh, my God. Big Ten's salivating over being connected to that. And I don't think the Big 12... I think the Big 12 likes the idea of the value Oregon and Washington would bring, but not the geography of it. So I think that big... That Pac-12 North is what the Big Ten's eyeing, and what's left of the Pac-12 South is mostly what the Big 12's eyeing. Maybe from a geography standpoint, fine. But that's not my argument here. If you're Oregon, you're not... The top school, probably for the Big Ten that they're looking at from the Pac-12 even. But you have to consider the ACC and what number the Big Ten wants to get to. Do they want to get to 20? Because I think that's probably the most realistic spot that they would want to get to is that number of 20. 
But if you take Washington, you take Stanford, or you take, you know, the people you want, you don't want to be the Big 12 and say, well, we're going to take Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, San Diego State, whatever. We're going to get up to – we're going to take care of ourselves here. But then, you know, you would have taken Oregon if they were available and they were interested. But we took all these other teams, and now they're kind of out on an island. And they're by themselves because they didn't and, – and that would be Oregon's fault. But what I'm saying is why – take somebody lesser than what and it, it kind of gets to the point of taking houston cincinnati byu and ucf in the last round you you took what you needed but had you waited a little bit to see what else was going to happen you know let's say that usc and um ucla leave last summer same summer as or oklahoma and texas how does the big 12 look because i think that would open up the pac-12 completely then Arizona's probably saying, yeah, Big 12, you need somebody, we're coming. I think that it would have put the, the, the wheels in motion a little more on Pac-12, and I think that it would have left teams like Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, more on the outside looking in. They might be considered the San Diego State of today, being like, well, you know, this might be an option kind of thing. If I had to guess, as I sit here right now, there'll be – a time in the future when the Big Ten has 24 members, which, folks, is way too many. You're just one giant conglomerate of two 12-team or, or three eight-school conferences. You just are. I think the SEC will end up at 20. And granted, both of those end up relying on the ACC breaking up. But I think the Big 12 can settle in at 16 or 18 or maybe 20. If you had asked me a year ago, would the Big 12 be the third conference to survive in a three-major conference world, I would have said no. That's what it looks like right now. And I'm not scared of that ACC grant of rights. If you just dig down into it a little bit, enough schools can vote to, to break that, to get out. And eventually, then, once eight schools decide to leave and the Big 12 comes in and says, you four, NC State, Come to Papa? Yeah, Virginia Tech, whoever's left. Then they then they just vote to dissolve the conference, and nobody's caught off guard. And it really will be. Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and one other school are going to be just left out, but Notre Dame's choosing to do that. Uh, last thing I want to mention here. Did you guys watch the Manti Teo documentary? Not yet. No. It's a must-watch. You said Notre Dame. That got me thinking about that. And if that's a documentary... There are some great documentaries from Kansas State. Ryan Wallace wants to do the receipt for Jamar Samuels. I want to do the bombing at the OU game. And there's other ones out there. Just don't text your made-up girlfriend. I text he was catfished. He was catfished. Yeah, he, he was. was done dirty. That he was not him. Was. I haven't watched it, but but you know what? You that never met the girl. Yeah, that that to me that's weird. But that also that is your it's generation a little bit. I mean, that, that is unthinkable to my generation because, you know, we had, like, abacuses. and. Well, you didn't say that your girlfriend, oh, my girlfriend goes to a different school? I feel like that's an excuse as old as time. Uh, you, don't, you haven't met her because she goes to a different school. She yeah. goes to Salina South. Those girls had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Those, those girls are classy compared to me. That's it for the PowerCat Questions Podcast. We appreciate it so much. Make sure you tell your friends to listen to the PowerCat Podcast. And if you have an imaginary girlfriend or just friend in general, 
Go ahead and have them listen too. Don't an imaginary person download the podcast? I'm so confused. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.